Okay, let's, let's uh, turn our attention to the Word. I'm going to pray for us in a moment. If you have your, your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. If you've got your booklet, we're going to be on page 4, uh, session 4, Needing Nothing More. So with that, let me pray for us and, and we'll dive in. Father, thank you for another day. Thank you for breath and life, the provision of all things. Thank you for a wonderful place to sit, an amazing room. Look out on this water and the sun shining on it and trees in the horizon, your creation. We join all of creation that never ceases to praise you and we join their chorus to say, you are God Almighty you created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. You sustain all things by the word of your power and you, Lord Jesus, all things hold together. And we bless your name above all. In these moments we spend together this morning, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to teach us, to open our eyes to truth and reality, to truly change our hearts. May we not May we not sit to simply understand something or learn something, but may we submit to your word in such a way that it changes us from within. Pray for alertness as we uh, hit the middle mark of a week that's early morning and late night and a lot of activity physically. Uh, strengthen and keep us alert in these moments. Be glorified, Lord Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, uh, we're in Colossians 2. I'm going to be in verses 11 to 15. Um, it's, a, it's a continuation, of course, of the, the, the previous verses, verses 8 through 10. And I just want to start there. So just as you're looking in your Bible, look at verses 8 through 10, because this sets us up for our, our particular text this morning. Paul writes and says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What, what Paul you know, is, is saying right here, he's in, in summary saying, Don't exchange uh, the, the fullness of life in Jesus um, for some, you know, empty man-made traditions philosophies of this world um, if we if we said it I'm going to change it a, a bit and tweak it and it could be you know don't don't give into these philosophies because all you need you have in Jesus I mean, he, he's at he's he's all and everything um, this it was right around Christmas we were doing you know typical church where we go into advent you have advent messages and um this this was not um you know this was not a covid time we hadn't gone into online services but our uh, children's director carrie murphy was interviewing some kids as part of our service at at our brentwood congregation we have a brentwood congregation and a franklin congregation anyways carrie's here and 
she's interviewing kids and it's just one of those videos and it, and it, it sets us up on the message that, that I want you to take a quick look at. So I know the screens are far away, but if there's some typeset underneath or it's subtext so you can see what, what the kids say and what Carrie says, if we can play that, Ryan. Turn the volume up. From God for something, but you're afraid because it seems impossible or it seems really hard. What Is would you ask like God for? Your life? I asked for a new God. A new God? Wow. That's better. I've never, ever heard that before. Piper, what would you like to ask for? The options are endless. Like, so, you know, she is, she is so good on her feet, but it was so funny that, you know, these kids get, of course, they, they're copying each other, but how about that, a new God, a better Jesus? And uh, as funny as it is, uh, we, can, we can actually get there. I, the Jesus I trusted is not working. Is there, is there better? Or how about this, is there is there more? Um, let me ask you this question. If all we need, we have in Jesus. This is not a trick question, okay? When did we get it? Like in, in, the, in, the, in the journey of life and faith, when did we get it? If all we have, we have in Jesus, then when did we get all that? It's not a trick question. When would it have been? At the moment of what? The moment of conversion, yeah. So the moment, moment, moment of salvation, we, we, we get it all when we put our trust in Christ. Which means this, and, and I'm going to read this because I, I wrote it down. And I, I, developed, I heard Alistair Begg say this a certain way, and I, I reframed it a little bit. This is what the, his thought got me thinking on this. He says, so I say it this way. From the moment of your salvation to the moment of your death, when you step from this life into the life to come, God will not do anything greater, more profound, more life-giving, more miraculous, more significant, more life-transforming than all that he did the moment you put your trust in Christ. I'm going to read it again. From the moment of your salvation... Come to faith in Christ. To the moment you step into the life to come, Christ comes back or you, you die physically here. God will not do anything greater, more profound, more life-giving, more miraculous, more significant, more life-transforming than all that he did at the moment you put your trust in Christ. And um, I, I didn't have this in my notes, and I'm going to do this because I— because I want to. Um, one of the things that this points to is maybe a misconception or a misunderstanding or lack of clarity around salvation, around what salvation is. And this is the kind of stuff, you know, I, I came to faith when I was 18, but I really didn't grow in my faith till after, 
some time after I'd come to faith and then didn't, and I'm still learning today as we all are, but when I say the word salvation, you know, we, we go, yes, I, you know, and when, I was 18, when I was 18, I was saved. I put my trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I, I, I remember I did. I, I said, Jesus, what you did, I believe you did it. You did it for me, and I trust that. And in that moment, you know, all these things happen, you know, and I'm born again and dwelt by the Spirit, all these things. But salvation is, is an all-encompassing with, as theologians have Delineate, and we describe it this way, that, there, that salvation is that we are justified. The moment I put my trust in Jesus, um, I'm you know, I'm, my sins are forgiven. I'm declared not guilty by God because Jesus paid the penalty for my sins. I'm justified. I'm also sanctified. Right? This is that part, you know, this is that part if we wanted to call it wilderness, right? In other words, you know, I'm, if I'm saved, why, why don't I go to heaven to be with God? Because I've got time on this earth where God is going to shape Christ in me. Where little by little I'm going to mature in the faith, even as Paul says in Colossians. Uh, to be mature in Jesus, to be like Jesus. That's the process of sanctification. But, but I'm also glorified which is that future day when I'll no longer struggle with sin and I'll see God face to face um, and what I want you to see is all of this is salvation all of that is salvation. Paul speaks of our salvation in Romans where he says those whom he, he called, he sanctified, he glorified. He speaks of glorified in past tense because it's just, it's so certain. It, it is ours, you know. And yet we know in time our glorification is, is future. But the whole thing is salvation. And when we, we need to be able to delineate them, but boy, when we begin to separate them, we, we've got a major problem. You can't separate them out from one another because in your, the process of growing in Christ and being sanctified, I'm telling you, you will hit times when you're going, am I even saved? Anybody ever felt that? Because you do things, you think things, am I even saved? And you got to go, yeah, not because of what I just did or how I feel, but because I'm just because I'm justified, God is changing me and I will be glorified. I'm saved in self. Does that make sense? You can't separate them out. I share that to say when when we are when we're saved and we get it all, okay? We get all of it. Um it is imperative that we count on all that God has done for us from the moment of our in the mo from the moment of our salvation as the ground and the basis for our sanctification and our glorification that I got all of it by faith and therefore, my sanctification is by faith. It's not like, you, oh, I'm going to put all my faith in Jesus and I'm saved. And i got to work my butt off to be like Jesus. <laughs> no, 
You're sanctified by faith. It's all by faith. And, and what Paul is going to do in this next little section, I think, and what I'm going to try to do is remind us that to the degree, because we, I want you to think about this, the cross, everything you and I need for life was secured by the cross. And our present hope and our future hope is rooted and grounded in the finished work of Jesus at the cross. At the cross. At the cross. There's, there's nothing coming in the future that's going to, I don't know, help you any more than what you got at the cross. Now, don't, you know, you hear me when I say that, I don't want you to think that there's not more to the Christian life. Oh, there is, and you'll grow more, you'll experience more, all those things. But you don't get any more than Jesus. <laughs> That's, he's all you need, he's all we need, and all that he's accomplished. So with that, to not be deluded by plausible arguments, as Paul says, worldly philosophies, empty deceit, may we see these realities that show us we need nothing more than Jesus because of what he accomplished at the cross. So there's four things I'm going to walk through in this passage. If you look in your Bibles, I'm in Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to begin now with verse 11. Here's the first thing. He says, this is what happened when you put your trust in Christ, because this is what happened when Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Did you know that no one goes to heaven who is not circumcised. That's what Paul is saying here. That's the first point in your notes. We were circumcised, verse 11. He says it's a circumcision made without hands. It's a putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, you know, that would make a very interesting invitation at the end of a message at a church, right? If you're interested in being circumcised today, I want you to come down and talk to one of the elders, you know, or something. Um, but this is, this is true. What we need to understand, what, to understand what Paul means, we've got to understand circumcision. To understand circumcision, we've got to go to the Old Testament. When God made a covenant with Abraham, think about the whole story. It's on the backside. The whole story of the Bible. You know, when God said, I'm going to send a man who's going to crush the serpent, you know, that all began by choosing a man, Abraham, and saying, there's going to be a land, I'm going to give you a land of people, and you're going to be a blessing to the nations. Um, when he when made that covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12 to do that, there was a sign of that covenant that God made with Abraham, uh, and it was circumcision. And, you know, we're all adults in here. It was the removal of the foreskin from the penis of a boy. That was physical circumcision. Uh, it was a you got to keep in mind the physical circumcision um, did not make that boy or didn't make Abraham righteous. So, so that's not what makes him righteous. It was, it was uh, Genesis 15, Abraham believed God, faith, and God declared him righteous by faith in God. Genesis 17, he says, now circumcise everybody as a sign of the covenant that I've made with you. Um, God's 
God's purpose in that physical circumcision was to point, it was to point out to Abraham, to, to his people, the need for a deeper spiritual circumcision. Because that physical circumcision was a picture of this. I need sin removed from me. Okay, so the, the, the physical circumcision was that, that was the symbol. Well, I've been circumcised because I need my sin removed. Does that make sense? So, um, God's purpose in that physical uh, symbol, if you will, was to, to remind them that they needed sin removed from them, from their, from their life. Deuteronomy 10.16 Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your, not your penis, your heart, and be no longer stubborn. Deuteronomy 36, as, and the Lord, and the Lord God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your life. God fulfills fulfills what he commands, you know, you need sin removed from your life. Circumcise all the boys. And by the way, the boys were circumcised, you know, the males were circumcised in that context, ladies. What was done to the male was done to the whole. That is just how, this is how God ordered things. And so remove, you know, circumcise the males as a symbol of the removal of sin. So that you know you need sin removed. Now, sin is not, not, not in, in the foreskin of the penis. It's in the heart. It's in who you are. I talked about it last night. The core of our being is thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices. What the Bible calls heart. You need sin removed from your heart. You need a circumcision of the heart. And that's what he talked about in Deuteronomy. Jesus comes, and by his death on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin. He removed the sin. I mean, so, so what was pictured in Jesus is now reality. You no longer need the picture. You, know, you, don't, you don't need to be circumcised. But now, why does this come up here? Because in, in Colossae, there were some teachers that were saying to the believers, hey, you've been circumcised? Well, you, then you're not really in. You need to be circumcised to get all of Jesus' benefits. And Paul says, time out, No. No. When the reality comes, that which symbolizes and foreshadowed the reality is needed, needed no more. Y'all, this is nothing less than the new covenant. The new covenant promise that God made is this in Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, I will give you a new heart. Remember the problem we talked about last night is the heart, and you're sitting, we're all going, man, I, who can give someone a new heart? God, only God. And he promised it in the Old Testament. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Paul writes this in Romans 6, 6. This is the New Living Translation. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives and we are no longer slaves to sin. I've got a, I've got a heart up here that's dark, it's it's a fallen heart, um, and in 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 
for all of us born of Adam and Eve, we're born with broken, fallen hearts. Remember I said the heart blew apart. And what Paul is saying here is that our, when we put our f- trust in Christ, our hearts are circumcised. Our, the, 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 uh, who, who we are in our flesh and in, in, in our sinfulness is removed. And what Paul says here, it's, it's nailed to the cross. And so, actually, I've got this cross up here because I, I want to actually put this in front of us as a, as a picture to say, you know, all that we were, our, this is our, our, circ- our circumcision, so to speak. Y'all, we were, we were, the moment you believed, we're circumcised. It's, it's been nailed, I mean, he just said, it's, it was nailed to the cross. The, but then we go, you know, you, we get in, you think, rightly so, well, then why do I still sin? If that was nailed to the cross, why do I still sin? Because in salvation and in the cross, uh, the penalty for sin was paid. We are set free from the bondage. We're no longer enslaved to sin. But the presence and principle of sin remains. Uh, this is where I want to refresh you on the wilderness story. You know, if, if you think about the wilderness story in this way, the Israelites are no longer in bondage to Egypt. They're freed from bondage to Egypt, right? Now they're, but you know, what real, you know what the wilderness, in a sense, we could say is all about? It's not about getting Israel out of Egypt, is it? It's, it's the other flip side of that. It's getting Egypt out of Israel. So that's what we're doing. That's what, why we're on the planet right now. God's removing, you know, we're becoming more like Christ, putting aside the old self and putting on the new and realizing our, our life and our identity in Jesus. But we have this principle, and it is called, in the, Paul uses the term flesh, and it's this principle within us that, if I could say it this way, it's just always bent toward sin. It's that, uh, how, how, it's that residue. You know, if you go in a hotel and you go, man, we got to be in the non-smoking room, and you go in there, and the first thing you breathe is, it's like you can't get rid of it. They can't get the smoke smell out of the thing. It, that, we have this principle of sin within us that will always be there till the day that we die. You know, the spirit within us by which we overcome the flesh. You see what I'm saying? But we have this principle of sin. But the truth is, because who we were before we came to faith in Christ and all the, the, all the, the sin and all that we were was nailed to the cross, we can say, I'm no longer who I was. And, and that's, a, that's a fact of the gospel. You are no longer who you once were, uh, regardless of how you think or feel or what's going on in the world. It's just, it is a spiritual fact that if you've put your faith in Christ, Paul says it, your old self was crucified with Christ. Secondly, there in your notes, we were placed in Christ. This is verse 12. He then says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, uh, theologians, Bible teachers are unsure, really, and there's disagreement here. Is this baptism he's talking about? Their, their, um, 
their physical baptism, their water baptism, you know, and, um, or, or is it a spiritual baptism because we have a spiritual baptism as well by which, you know, spiritual baptism is when, when you believed in Jesus, you were placed in Jesus and you were placed in his body, the body of Christ. This is what happened the moment you placed your faith in Christ. Uh, I, I lean toward this being a picture of, of spirit baptism and my understanding of spirit baptism is not something that you get later on and you get more of the spirit. That I, no, you know, charismatic backgrounds, whatever, or even now, I mean, I know there's different beliefs on this. My understanding is that spirit baptism is, happens the moment you believe, and it's the work of the spirit by which the spirit places us in Christ, and we're placed in the body of Jesus Christ. Um, I lean here towards this being spirit baptism because he's talking about the, the, the removal of, of the body of flesh in spiritual, spiritual circumcision. He goes on to be talking here about our connection of being in Christ, which is a phrase Paul uses over and over and over again. Um, and when we think about being placed in Christ, a little bit of an aside, but we're not placed in Christ, and this is, I think it was John Stott, so I'm using an illustration he used. It's not like we're being... You take a tool, it's laying out here, and here's the toolbox. I'm going to take that tool and put it in the toolbox. That's not the picture of being in Christ. It's more of being organically connected. Jesus' own words. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You are in me organically. Life flows because we're connected. It's more, it's more of that picture. With that said, you know, and this is where I, you know, I don't know, I don't know dogmatically these things, but... Could, he, could that be speaking of our, our, our physical or, you know, water baptism? Well, yeah, I don't think it would miss the mark if we didn't see in that our water baptism because, you know, again, what, what I believe and, and teach is water baptism is the physical expression, the physical demonstration to the world of the spiritual reality that when I believed, I was in belief, and I'll describe it here, I was what? I was buried with Christ. And I was also raised with Christ. And so it's a, it can be a, certainly a picture of that. It's, it's because of this identification, though. Because, because when you believe you're placed in Christ Jesus, we're organically connected to him, that, that we can say with conviction, I'm not who I said, I, I'm not who I was, what I said a moment ago. And, and Paul says it in Galatians 20 better than I ever could, right? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. At the moment of conversion, at the, so, so now we're talking about, you know, think of a timeline up here. You know, I was, I was saved at 18 and I'm 60 now. But So at that moment, though, when I was 18, y'all, I was circumcised spiritually. I was placed in Christ. All that happened in the moment of belief. And then third, look at 13 and 14. It's gonna, I'm going to say this. We were forgiven. We were forgiven, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
what, what Paul's describing here is the, the debt that, that we owed. You know, and, and again, I, I know I'm talking to the choir in, in many regards here, but you know, our sin is a debt we can't pay. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So we have a, a, a debt we've accumulated because all of us have sinned. We've not been holy in thought and deed. We, we miss the mark, so to speak. You've probably heard over the years. And so we've, we, we, we owe a debt, and the debt is only payable by death. Separation from God. By the way, when you hear the word death in, 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 in the Bible, you know, it, it, the, the core concept is not cessation as much as it is separation. It's why, you know, we say, Everyone lives forever. Christianity is not about living forever. Every human being born lives forever because the soul lives forever. The question is, will you live forever connected to God or will you live forever separated from God? That's hell, eternal separation from God. So it depends on who pays the debt. Like, do you pay your debt because if you, if, if you have to pay your, what you owe because of your sin, then you will pay it. And you'll be eternally separated from God. That's, that's death. But if you put your trust in Christ, you see, we, we know Paul says here, then, then Jesus pays that separation. That's why Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, and then in his death, he, he, the wrath of God poured out on the sin of all who put their trust in Christ, the sin of humanity, is, is poured out on Jesus, and it's satisfied. It's satiated. God's wrath against sin is satiated on Jesus. So if it's on Jesus, then Jesus rises from the grave because death can't hold an innocent man. God's just. So because he had no sin, death couldn't hold him. He could pay the penalty, but it couldn't hold him. So he rises from the grave, and Jesus says to all of us, believe that what I did, I did for you. Put your trust in me. Then you will never have to face separation from God. You'll never have to face it, because I did it for you. Does that make sense? That's what's hey, it's so awesome about being in Jesus. That's the good news. So Paul says here in, in our text, he said it's been canceled. By the way, they, they, it, 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 it's been rubbed off. And the reason that Greek words kind of carries that idea of rubbed off is because they wrote on parchment that you could rub off the ink. And so the picture is, picture a big long scroll. And, and it's just like every sin. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the naughty or nice list, you know. I don't know, but you got it, picture that. And Paul's saying that's been erased been erased he says it's been set aside that means it's been removed and it's been removed permanently it's been nailed to the cross the cross is a symbol of death the symbol of separation so when it's been nailed to the cross it's been removed okay from you forever it's, it's gone and so i've got what i got what i have here if you can imagine a, a big you know imagine this was a big long scroll and 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 uh and, and, you know, what if you had your sins listed, you know? I mean, you know, I've got one scroll, but I probably need, how many scrolls would we need for each other? <laughs> I don't know. A lot, right? Not one little adding machine tape. But, uh, but again, it's just visually, I want you to, to see this, that what Paul says here is this list of our sins, 
okay? Past, present, and future. So the moment you believe Christ, I was 18. I had, I had most of my sinning in front of me, right? At 18, I, mean, I had way more in front of me than behind me. And, and God takes it all, you know? You're unsinned sins in life right now. I took it all. He wiped it clean. He took that list of all of it, and he nailed it to the cross. So this is, this is what Paul is talking about here, and this is what I'm trying to say to us, happened at the cross. And, you know, the reason that I tape those things, where I tape them, let me say, say, say why, because I could have taped it anywhere. Um, and I think about this, because y'all, on a, we have these Good Friday services, and um, I know all ch- churches do all kinds of different things. And, you know, we, people have been doing this since they've gone to campfires, you know, where you write your sins down, and then you go and nail it to the cross. And you, we, we do this at Good Friday, and people nail these little sheets to the cross. and It's great. But I've thought about it, and I've thought, well, okay, it is nailed to the cross, but, but I actually tape these here and here for a reason. Because when we say they were nailed to the cross, what I, what I don't want us to miss is, they weren't literally nailed to the cross. They were nailed to, right? Yeah, that changes things for me a little. It's not the cross, so to speak. They were nailed to the God-man, Jesus. Which is what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake God made him, not the cross, he didn't make, turn the piece of wood, he made Jesus, the God-man, who knew no sin, that in, him, that in him, so even when I keep saying cross, cross, I hope you're hearing Jesus, Jesus, made him, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself, Jesus, bore our sin in his body, not, not on wood, in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So, here's where, let's go again. I'm 18 years old. I, I, I genuinely put my trust in Jesus. And in that moment, I was circumcised. My flesh, the heart, my, I got a new heart. The, the, the principle, the, the bondage of sin was, was cut out of my heart. I was given a new heart by the Spirit. It was nailed to the cross, my old self, all that I was. Uh, I was forgiven of all my sins, cleansed from all in righteousness. I was placed in Jesus. I'm organically in Christ Jesus. And then the final thing I want you to see on here is that we were declared victorious. That's the last one. We were declared victorious. Look at 15 and I'll read the rest of it. It says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food. No, I'm not going to. I'm sorry. I'm sub 15. That's a whole different thing. So we were declared righteous, or we were uh, we were declared victorious in Jesus. The context would lean us toward these authorities, where he says he took rulers and authorities. It would probably probably be thinking or pointing us towards spiritual and demonic rulers and authorities. Uh, forces of evil. It connects us back to verse um, 8, where, you know, back in verse 8, he said, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. When Paul speaks of triumphing over them, um, you know, it's an analogy that would have been so familiar to the original audience that in Rome, when, they, when the Roman generals, you know, 
you know, news didn't travel super fast, didn't travel fast at all. And so a Roman general might be off in a, in a country for 12 years. I don't know. Who knows? They're over there fighting, conquering, whatever. And uh, life goes on back here as normal. And then the general comes back, and, and to show that he won, Rome would throw a massive parade. And so you'd have the general uh, at the head of the parade in his chariot and all the pomp and circumstance. You know, things don't change. Do this just like even today with countries and, you know, militaries and he'd be going along and then behind him in his train so to speak would would be all the stuff he brought back so all the spoils of war trailing behind him and then behind that would be those prisoners those he's taken captive those who are stripped naked who are beaten who are you know chained etc and they're dragging along behind so i'm at the very end of the train defeated and I'm conquered. I'm totally conquered walking along behind. And way up in front is the great general, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's cheering, et cetera. And Paul takes that picture and he flips it. And he says, the one back here chained, beaten, battered, and bruised. Who does that describe? Jesus. Beaten, battered. He's the actual conqueror. He's the winner, not, not the guy up front with the big plume on his hat, you know, whatever. It's the conquered one. That's what we understand the gospel to be. What did we say yesterday about Pharaoh? Pharaoh looked at those in the wilderness and said, I got him. I'm going to go get him. And when he went to get him, the waves closed over him, destroyed. Satan and his cohorts at the cross. I got him. Crushed Jesus. And then... In destroying Jesus, Satan destroyed, so to speak, himself, right? Because <laughs> his most powerful weapon is death. So the outcome for the Christian, and this is why I talk about justified, sanctified, glorified, this right here is not in question. This is never in question. Why? Because you're saved. Yeah, I know, Lloyd, but I, I, need, to, I need to hang on to it. No, no, you God's going to hang on to you, and you need to, you need to exercise faithfulness, but your salvation includes your justification, your sanctification, and your glorification. And therefore, in the midst of our sanctification, when you and I lose heart, and we do, we don't, we don't stand in that place. I, I hope we don't, and as we mature, I hope we don't. We don't stand in that place and begin to question our salvation. We stand in that place and recognize that my future is secure because the moment I believed I was declared victorious because I'm in Jesus. He's victorious. And yes, he'll bring me through even this wilderness. So, at the moment of belief, through the life, death, and, and belief in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we were, we got all. We were circumcised, placed in Christ, we're forgiven, and we're declared victorious. Death will not have the last word. It just, it will not. And it's not because of anything we do. It's because it's been done. Jesus got the last, Jesus is the last word, you know, <laughs> biblically and all those things. So here's the question I'm going to ask for you just to think about. For those of you who and, you know, you put your trust in Christ at some time in your life. God opened your eyes. You know, it's a work of grace. 
God opened your eyes and you, you believed. I think about that in my own life when I was 18 years old. I don't, why did I believe? God, it's like I'd read this stuff before, but then in that moment, God opened my eyes and I believed it. I, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again for me. If you've done that, okay, whatever place that was in your life, here's my question for you. Are you experiencing now, whether it was five years ago, a year ago, or 40 years ago, the fullness of all that Christ did for you on the cross? And if not, then there's our edge of growth. There's our point of growth. Well, God, may I go to the and I go back to the cross over and over and over and over again. And you see, the Christian life is, count, is counting today, counting, reckoning where I am today, reckoning what God did in my belief, reckoning that true today in my now. I wish the Christian life were as simple as that, you know, but it's fundamentally that, but I know that lives hard. So I want to encourage us to go to the cross. If you're in the room and you've never put your faith in Christ, and, you know, I, I don't know everyone in the room, then my invitation to you is believe. That if you're even sitting here and you're hearing this and it sort of makes sense to you, do you know, I always tell people at our church, I say, you know, if it sort of makes sense to you right now and you're kind of going, for some reason, this, I think this makes sense, that's because God is opening your eyes because you could never figure it out on your own. See, that's what, dead in trespasses and sins. You, you don't, you're not capable of figuring this stuff out. God in his graciousness is opening your eyes and inviting you, and I want to invite you and encourage you to believe. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these moments in your word, and thank you for all you've done for us in Jesus. And we want to say as a group this morning that, Lord, to the degree that we were looking out in the future and hoping for the magic formula or the secret keys or the special teaching or whatever it may be to, to be what we need, we want to repent of that. We want to turn from that and turn to you and go, you God, thank you that all that we require is in Jesus. And Jesus, we want to say to you, we, we want to come to you more fully, cast ourselves upon you more desperately. And to do that, Holy Spirit, we need you. We, we need you in us to continue to clarify and sharpen our vision of Jesus and the gospel and salvation and all that it entails. In Christ's name, amen.